Welcome to Cross Culture, real life, real talk, real wisdom. At Cross Culture, we believe that if we can change the way that we think, we can allow ourselves to align with God's purpose for our life and then impact the culture around us. This is Cross Culture. The story that I always want people to remember is if God can do it for me, he could do it for my family, he could do it for you. He could do it for your family. You could be the Joseph of your family. I just happen to be the Joseph of my family and I happen to be named Joseph. So when I look at it now, do I think it's by coincidence? Absolutely not. I know that I'm the Joseph to my family. Has that been told to me? Absolutely, but I know that today. Yeah. So when I get in trouble, Chris, I'm, I'm fighting this case because they wanna give me 18 months in prison. In the state of California, four DUIs, mandatory 18 months in prison. There's no negotiating. You wanna hire an attorney, spend all kinds of money, fine, you can, go ahead. That's not my recommendation because the, the, the law in the state of California is your fourth DUI, 18 months minimum in prison. Mm. So wow. that's where my mindset's at, 18 months, it's a matter of time. Is the judge gonna be sympathetic towards me? Are they going to work with me? And, and I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm praying and hoping for the best at, 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 at this point. And I'll never forget seven court trips it took. And um, my mom and Felicia had never been to any of my other court trips because I always told them, I don't want you guys going to see me in jail. I don't want you to see what I look like in this jumpsuit. I don't want you to, this is not how I want you to remember me Yeah. because there's gonna be a better version of me and it's not gonna be this person yeah. who's gonna be in a cage in a courtroom. So the seventh court trip, they come. Mm. And I'll never forget, I'm sitting in the cage and those of you who don't know what a cage is, it's that little box that looks like a cage are, in a yeah. courtroom. You know, and um, I'll never forget, the judge looks at me and goes, Mr. Mendoza, and that, this is how they talk. Mr. Mendoza, today's your lucky day. And I'm thinking, am I going home? Because <laughs> I'm so hopeful, right? Am I, am I getting released today? Like I, I've already been in jail six months to this point. Oh, wow. So I'm thinking, they're gonna let me go. I've been a good boy six months. Like, this is my day. Yeah. And he goes, I'm gonna, and I never forget, he's pointing at me. I'm gonna grant you your wish. And I'm like, thinking, like, my, my wish, like, not too many people have wishes in jail, in jail. you know what I mean? Yeah. Other than getting out. He goes, I'm gonna grant you your wish. I'm gonna let you go to rehab. And I was like, Lord, this has to be you. Yeah. He goes, I'm not going to give you 18 months in prison. I'm going to let you go to rehab. The previous three DUIs, never one time did I go to rehab. And I said, your honor, I, I can't thank you enough. He goes, but there's one catch. And I said, oh man, here it comes. You got to serve 12 months in jail. And then I'm going to send you to rehab for one year. So one plus one, Two is years. two, but I'll tell you this, 
a year of jail and a year of rehab. With Jesus in there, radically changed my life. You say, well, that's two years. You could have did 18 months and been out on maybe on good time, but who's to know what would have happened in prison? Yeah. I don't know. There's a reason why I didn't go to prison. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited. And I, I never forget my mom and Felicia look so devastated. And I'm like, no, like thumbs up, like it's okay, like no. And then I later talked to Felicia and she goes, you know, wh- why were you so positive? And I said, and, and mind you, we weren't married at this time, Chris. Like the story is Felicia didn't know I had two DUIs, let alone three DUIs. So when I get in trouble, she's kind of like, why, is, why are you in trouble? because all I did was lie and manipulate and, not, yeah. and I wasn't honest. And you know, it threw her all for a loop. And she goes, why are you okay with it? And I said, you know what? I've been in here six months. I can do six months. I said, I found God in here and I know God is on my side. There is a reason why I didn't go to prison. And there's a reason why God has me here. And I'm just going to continue to seek him behind bars. He's already been moving in my life. I'm just going to trust him in this season and in this process that he knows what he's doing. Now let's key in on that. You said you found God. Let's talk about how you found God in prison. You know, a lot of times this is the part of my testimony, Chris, where I get a lot of skeptics and people who question this. And, you know, as brothers in Christ... We're never called to judge somebody's story. Mm-hmm. If somebody says they found God, you know, in a bus on the way up to San Francisco, that's where they found God. If they found him on a boat, if they found him on a mountain, they found him where you find God and where you meet God, that is part of your story. That's right. For me, February 14th, February 14th was Valentine's Day. By the time I get processed in the jail, by the time I actually get into a barrack, by the time I get situated, you're talking about five days later. And you talk about things happen for a reason, not by coincidence. I'm laying on my bunk. I'm on the second, on the top bunk, got my bunkie underneath me. And I'll never forget. It's like everybody sees on TV, you know, the jail bars have books. Like that's what you see in movies and stuff. That's real. So I remember one night I turned around and I was glancing at the book and you know the book because you know my story and I have the book sitting in my nightstand. This green purpose-driven life book by Rick Warren and a Bible were right next to each other. Mm. I glanced and something brought me back to those two things pull them both out. Bible's in my hand. How do I start reading the Bible? Like, I don't read. I wasn't a scholar. I hate reading. Mm -hmm. Flip to the back of the Bible. It says, Bible reading plan. Start in the book of John. And I said, I've never taken direction my whole life. I think this is a good time to to take direction and start in the book of John and go through this Bible plan that's in the back. So I start in the book of John, which is in the gospel, partner and pair that with the purpose-driven life. 
it was over, Chris. It was a game changer. You know, I get emotional thinking about it because you don't think that God can meet you in the deepest, darkest moments of your life. And I can honestly say that God met me at my deepest, darkest moment in my life. He met me. Well, it wasn't this aha moment, this this cloud didn't flash, this angel didn't hit me. It came in the form of a purpose-driven life book, and it came in the form of a Bible. I had to pick them up and do the work. I had to pick them up and start reading. Holding them wasn't going to do it for me, and the transformation process wasn't going to take place unless I started to do the work, and I started to do the work. I read that purpose-driven life book three times in jail. I read that Bible two times in jail. I started praying with a group of Christian guys in jail every day. We were having Bible studies in jail. Anytime they would call for church service, I was the first one to that door and in worship, in Bible study. Anything they offered, I was, I was just immersed in it Yeah, because this is what I told myself. Joseph, you gave your entire life to drinking. You need to give your entire life to God. Mm. You gave your entire life and everything you had to drinking. You sacrificed everything. You sacrificed your kids, your job, your family. You sacrificed everything that was precious and valuable to you in your life to chase the next drink. I want you to sacrifice everything for me and chase and pursue me and watch how it will change your life. Fantastic. And I think that's such a powerful part of your testimony because everything up until that point had become your identity. Right. And so you had to hit this wall mm-hmm. of finally the consequences catching up to your actions. Right. But God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. No. And his grace and mercy are new every morning. Right. And so God meets you in prison and changes your mindset. Right. Now you start to understand that you're created for a purpose. Right. And then you start to align yourself with that, and that starts to begin the transformation. Mm-hmm. So talk me through kind of that last part of now you're really on fire for God. Right. You have that understanding of who God is. You understand that God has a purpose for you. Mm-hmm. What does that do to your remaining time that you're there in prison? Well, you know, as you start to to go through the Bible, you really start to find how so many stories in the Bible really relate to your personal life. Mm -hmm. And the book of Job has always become my favorite book in the Bible because look at what Job went through. Yeah. Look at the pain he went through, the sacrifice, but look at how he was used in such a mighty way because he persevered. And when I read the book of Job and when I started to read certain scriptures, certain books, it just really started to speak to me. Like when we think of Ephesians and we think of the whole, putting on the whole armor of God. Yep. How many times have you heard that scripture in your lifetime? Oh, How many man. times have you heard a sermon on that? Yeah. How many times have you heard a Bible study? But when you can honestly say that you know what it's like, Chris, I know what it's like to put the full armor of God on, be behind bars and know that God is gonna protect me. Yeah. Most people would say, but you're in jail. How do you know that? But what's faith? Yeah. The unseen. That's right. Right? So I know what it's like to say, I had the full armor of God on. 
I knew I was protected in jail. And you hear my voice elevating because I was convicted, I was convinced, and I knew that I knew that I knew that I was protected in jail. Yeah. I knew that God had my back. I knew that nothing was gonna happen to me as long as I continue to pursue him and put him first. So, you know, something really vital happens. And, and when I share this, this is the story that no one can ever challenge me on, on whether or not God is real. So after I'd gotten sentenced, some guys came back and they're like, hey man, there's a loophole. And you know, guys in jail, they know loopholes. You know, we all know loopholes. Yeah. And um, they said, hey man, there's a loophole in the system. When they, when, they, when they tell you they're gonna send you to rehab and like they tell you they're gonna come to jail and they're gonna pick you up and they're gonna take, there's a loophole. If the clerk in the courtroom doesn't write and push the right buttons, they let you go scot-free. And I'm like, come on, this, this, this stuff don't happen to me. Like no one lets, Joseph don't go scot-free. Like, no, I've been busted every single time. Yeah. So Chris, you talk about, is God real? So- I knew my release date. They don't call your name until like two in the morning. That's what time you get released from jail. For all of you wondering, why do you get released at two in the morning from jail? There's two main reasons why you get released at two, three in the morning from jail. One is, that's the deputy's shift change. And the second is, the county gets money for you for the next day. So if you stay past midnight, they get money for you for the next day. So those are the two main reasons why you get released from jail at weird hours of the morning. You don't get released like at four o'clock and make it home (laughs) for dinner. So I'll never forget. I'm on the phone with Felicia and I'm like, hey babe, like we're excited. Her and I are doing amazing. You know, um, haven't seen each other in, you know, almost a year and, and our spirits are built. She's found a home church with my parents. God's moving in her life in a mighty way. And we ain't even together. And um, I said, well, babe, tonight's the night. You know, um, I'll talk to you maybe when I get to rehab. I'll write you a letter. Don't know what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, so we hang up on the phone, you know, lights out, 10 o'clock. You know, obviously I can't sleep because I'm antsy and, and I know my name's going to get called and it's about 2.30 in the morning and you hear the intercom come on and it's Mendoza, roll it up. And I'm like, this is my, this is it. So, you know, in jail, you have all but two minutes to roll it up and get to the door. And let me tell you, if you don't roll it up and get to that door in two minutes, they will make you stay in there longer. You know, when you talk about leaving your past behind, when you talk about leaving your baggage behind, when you talk about leaving earthly possessions behind and going forth with this new mentality perspective on life, I grabbed two things and took them with me. I grabbed the Bible. I grabbed, sorry, I took three things with me. I grabbed the Bible. I grabbed the Purpose Driven Life book. And I grabbed every single letter that Felicia had written to me. Mm. Everything else I didn't care about. Mm. I need to take the Bible. I need to take the Purpose Driven Life book. And I got to take these letters. I grabbed the three of them. 
everybody, 200 man barrack, everybody hugging me, mm. everybody hugging me, man, we love you. Cause they saw the person that I was in a year's time there. And guys were looking to me for hope, for inspiration, for guidance, for prayer. Wow. And here I go, I go out. And from the time you go out that door to the time you process out, it's about an hour time because you got to go through certain things. You got to go get your property. Now, mind you, Chris, putting those clothes on from the accident a year ago was tough because there you find yourself where it all began. Yeah. What led you to this point, this moment? Bloody clothes. Put the clothes on, because you ain't going to walk out with no clothes. Put the clothes on. Then you go to the next room. You got a fingerprint. They got to run your background, because they got to make sure you have no warrants and no holds. And that's where a lot of guys get caught, and they get sent right back in because they have warrants or holds, or they get taken to a different jail or different county. So I get through there. Then you get to your possessions. Car keys, cell phone, wallet, belt, things like that. Get all my possessions. Then the last thing is you sign for everything. It's like you sign saying, everything's good. I got everything back. Nothing's wrong. So you can't you know, come back, back later and say something happened. Yeah. And then there's a famous button they push. And it's the loudest unlocking of a door sound you will ever hear. And when that door unlocks and pops, it's like you're scot-free. But in my mind, I'm thinking, there's somebody waiting for me on the other side of that door. Remember, I'm going to rehab. The judge told me you're gonna go straight from jail and you're gonna go to rehab. So my mindset is, there's somebody waiting for me on the other side of that door to grab me by my hand and say, hey, Joseph, you know, nice to meet you. We're going to rehab. You know, It's gonna be all great, bells with... So that's what I'm expecting. I open that door. There's nobody there. And now I'm thinking the loophole. I'm like, wow. So you go down and I know I, I, they call it like the, the, the walk of fame is what, when you get out of jail, it's like the out. walk of fame. Yeah. Well, it's not the kind of walk of fame you guys you know, want to experience. So I, I make the left. And then you get to the bottom to where the lobby is. And I'm like, there's nobody in the lobby. I'm like, wow. Okay, this is interesting. Well, maybe I'm going to walk outside at 3.30 in the morning, 3.30 in the morning. Maybe they're going to be in a van, you know, and they're going to jump out and greet me with the red carpet. <laughs> walk outside. There's nobody, Chris. Wow. Nobody. I, get, I meet this individual in a car. He lets me use his cell phone. I call Felicia and she's like crying. She's like, are you joking? Like you said this could possibly happen. And I said, babe, I promise I'm here and nobody is here to get me. It is 3.30 in the morning and I'm freezing too. And I need my mom and my dad to come get me. So we get my mom and dad on three-way. My mom and dad come and pick me up. Chris, you want to know if God is real? Let me tell you. That's Friday morning. I called the rehab. Hey, it's Joseph Mendoza. You guys didn't come pick me up. Like, what happened? They're like, we don't come pick you up. What do I do? I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get taken back to jail. They're like, 
Can you report, listen, listen to this. Can you report to the rehab Monday morning at 10 a.m.? Wow. I said, wait a minute. Today's Friday, so I don't got to come till Monday? And they're like, you don't have to come till Monday. Can wow. you come Monday at 10 a.m.? I said, I will be there Monday at 9.30 a.m. Hang up the phone with them. Wow. Chris, all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday with my family that I hadn't seen in over a year. You tell me God's not real? Only God could have pulled that one off. To give you that time. To give me that time. And let me tell you, that time was so needed because that time propelled me into rehab and it gave me that extra boost. It gave me that extra confidence, that motivation. It gave me that, that God is real. He's for me, not against me. You know, through him, anything, I believed it. Man, I was on fire after that. I believed it. And I said, I'm going to sell out. I'm going to do everything for you, God, because you made a way where there wasn't supposed to be hmm. a way. Here I go home with my family and I get to spend time with everybody after a year of being in jail. So that gave you kind of a frame of reference of everything you're fighting for, Ooh. everything you're doing it for. He he gave you he gave me that that sweet taste of look at how life can be mm. if you just trust me. This is how your life can be. Just trust me. I went to rehab Monday, nine thirty in the morning. Suitcase packed. Hug Felicia. Kiss Felicia. Parted. Let me tell you, I was I, at that point, Chris, my spiritual endurance was built so high. I knew at that point I could take anything on. Yeah. I knew I can endure anything. If God got me through the first DUI, through the second, through the third, through the accident, through a year of county jail. Yeah. Which I later found out that people were saying you probably would have been better off going to prison because you wouldn't have had to deal with all the politics in county jail. A year in county jail and a year in rehab, wow. you know, and, um, you know, I'll never forget when I started to get visitation and we started to go through counseling as a family and as a couple. And, you know, then, then I was able to finally see my kids. They were letting the kids come and visit me. And, you know, I'll never forget about like seven months into rehab, my parents come to visit me and, and visitation was on Sunday. And um, I'll never forget, my parents are like, we need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, like, what's up? Like, I've been sober a year and a half. God's moving. You know, this is what you always wanted. You always wanted a sober son on fire for the Lord. And my parents go, dad and I decided that when you get out of rehab, that you can no longer live with us, that we need to put our foot down. We're proud of you. We love you, but you need to grow up and you need to be out of our house. We're not gonna take you back in when you're done. And I was shocked, Chris. Mm. I was like, wow, that was like the first blow of like, wow, because I'm thinking like everything now is like given to me, right? Yeah. Not knowing that you still have to earn things. Yeah. And that was tough because you take yourself out of society for two years. You don't hop back into society no matter how on fire I was for the Lord, yeah. you still have to go through life. Right. Right? And being out of society for two years and then coming out of rehab and having to get, Chris, I had to get reacclimated with 
everything. Yeah. Do you understand that I didn't know what it was like to sleep in a normal bed? Like the things that we take for granted right. as human beings, an individual, a roof over our head, a comfortable bed, blankets, plural, home-cooked meals, doing your own laundry. There's so many things that we take for granted as human beings and individuals. Chris, I know what it's like to yeah. savor my bed at night. Mm. I know what it's like to savor the house that God's blessed us with. I know what it's like to savor this relationship because I'm used to destroying relationships. So I know what it's like to do my part in this relationship because I care about you and I love you as an individual, as a human being, as a husband, as a father. So I know what it's like now to value relationships because it's these relationships with God that help keep me sober. Yeah. It's my relationship with you because you're an accountability partner. You help me. You're a spiritual accountability partner to somebody who didn't know what that was like. Yeah. So for me, I value relationship today because I didn't go to AA. I didn't find sobriety that way. I found sobriety through trusting the Lord, and I found sobriety in great human beings like yourself who I know that are going to guide me down the right path who are gonna help me make the right choices as a father. That when I fail as a husband, you're gonna help pick me up and yeah. show me. It's these, these individuals like you, spiritual accountability partners are vital for me. Yeah, Vital, they're essential for me. So yeah. how do I stay sober today? How have I made it 11 and a half years sober? First of all, I have an amazing family. Do you know that my dad will be sober 30 years this March? Wow. 30 wow. years in two months. I'm 44. He's been sober half my li- more than half my life. And it's crazy when you reflect back on that because that's really where it all started. Yeah. That's where... The Mendoza family was changed. It just took me a little bit more time yeah. to catch on. Yeah. Then you look at my brother, sober five years this year. He almost died three times. Had to rush him to the hospital. 0.32 blood alcohol level. My cousin and I have to rush him to Kaiser. The doctor says, you should be dead. So now here I was told, you should be dead. Here he was told, you should be dead. And now God's using us to magnify his kingdom and his glory. And how cool was it to see my brother sitting in service the other night? Yeah. And he's not a Jesus guy. He's not a God guy. He's not a faith guy. That's just not his cup of tea. He does his own thing. But to see him in service the other night when my mom told me, when she walked in the door and said, Mike's going to be here. I'm like, Mike who? She's like, Mike, your brother. I'm like, yeah. Huh? Standing at the door, and there comes my brother and my nephew walking in, and I'm just like, wow, God, we've come a long way. And I think that's something so powerful. I'm, I've had the privilege of meeting your parents before, mm. um, and your mom talking with her about, about your testimony. Right. Um, to see how fervent her prayers were Man. for you. Um, and Felicia as well. 
Um, you know, the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous right. avails much and it accomplishes mm-hmm. what the person prayed for. And so we don't always have control over the timing. No. We can't turn a switch on and off, but God reached you at the right time, right. at the right season. And I think the other aspect of why you've been able to maintain your sobriety is that you're not a inactive Christian. Mm. I think a lot of times so many Christians spend their life on the bleachers. Right. Watching life go on, watching mm-hmm. ministry go on. But I think because of your sports background, mm-hmm. you couldn't sit on the sidelines. No, no, no. You can't be on the shelf. You can't be on the sideline. You got to be in the game. You know, you got to be in the game. And that's literally how I operate. So it, 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 it is the sports mindset, right, of being in the game. And you always say that faith is a contact sport. If you're if you're getting into faith or spirituality or Christianity Christianity like don't expect it to be a non-contact sport. Yeah. Cuz I'm still getting hit. You're still getting hit because when we're doing things to magnify the kingdom and we're making differences in people's lives, the enemy's always going to attack us. There's always yeah. going to be an opposition to the mission as Pastor Tim says. Yeah. You know, and for those of you who are struggling, people are praying for you. And we don't understand those prayers when you're the one struggling. But sitting here today with yeah. you, I know I would see my mom pray. I would see her in tears. I would see her in shambles. I would hear her on the phone from jail. And, and to think like I look back on it now and I'm like, dang, mom, your prayers, your prayers came through. They weren't in your timing. They were in God's timing. But she wasn't the only one praying for me. There's a lot of people praying for me. Yeah. And there's a lot of people praying for people right now that are struggling with addiction, that are struggling with anything in life. But it's hard to receive those prayers when you're the one wrapped up in the situation. You're the one wrapped up in the disease. You're the one wrapped up in the in whatever it is that you know you're going through. And um it's amazing, Chris, because you know, to see that all God has done and uh, there's no way I can go through this cross culture interview and not talk about my amazing wife. There, there's this. I think you and I have been blessed. Amen. We have been blessed. Your story is not my story, but behind every great man, there's a more amazing woman. Amen. Amen. And to the that. fact that Felicia stood with me after all the lying all the cheating, all the manipulation, all the story making, the fact that she even considered, and and I love this because about a year and a half in, when I was in rehab, we we would just pray and we would say, you know what, God, we're just two puzzle pieces. When I'm done, when this is done, whatever done looks like, if our pieces were meant to connect. They're going to connect because of you. Not because I want to connect it or not because she wants to connect it. Yeah. If these are the adjoining pieces that are meant to connect, it's going to be because you see a future of impact that her and I are going to make together. So there was never any selfish ambition, any selfish reason, anything of a selfishness behind her and I coming together. It was, if you want this, God, then you make it happen. If you want this, then you're going to help see us through because this has not been easy. 
It's not been easy because you talk about a blended family now. You start bringing other children in now. You start bringing a lot of other things on top of what I've already created. Yeah. So it's like, oh man, it's the fairy tale ending. You know, it's the whole beauty and the beast thing. You are the beast and you, you guys come together and now you're going to, you know, do your dance and twirl and it's happily ever after. And that last rose petal doesn't fall and hit the ground. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, I wish I can say that that's how it's been. But life but is not a fairy tale. But that way. Life is not a fairy tale. You know, I'm still the guy with the addictive personality. I've just changed where I apply that energy. Apply that. Okay, so one thing you know about me is I'm all in or I'm all out. If I'm going to do cross-culture and we're going to interview, we're going to go hard. We're going to do this interview right. That's what I told you, right? Yeah. I said, we're going to do it right. You're going to see some tears. You're going to see emotion. You're going to see and hear things that maybe people haven't heard before. But to me, that's what I always needed. Yeah. I needed real, raw, unfiltered, not sugar-coated, tell me how it is. I, I don't want the... Chris, it, it, it's going to be okay. Like, don't worry. It's going to be okay. No, because it wasn't okay. Yeah. So for me, to other people, I never like to paint that like, oh, don't worry. When in the back of my head, I'm like, no, we need to do something about this. Yeah. So, you know, Felicia has been the rock. That lady, oh my gosh. You talk about the Mendoza family, the Mendoza household. I mean, we should have had a statue built for her already. And she's only in her 30s because that's the impact that she has made and our family and will continue to you know, make. And she is absolutely a phenomenal wife. She supports me in everything that I do. She supports me in every place that I go. She trusts me in everything that I do in traveling. She's an amazing mom who always wants to watch more kids on top of her own kids. Yeah. You know, I couldn't be blessed with a better human being, a better individual, a better wife, a better mother, you know, to our kids. I mean, she has taught me what being a parent is really all about. Yeah. You know, when you say you love all your kids the same, Chris, I learned it from Felicia because She's always looked at Jaslyn and Jaden the same as her own. And now I know what it's like to look at Jude. Jude's my own. Yeah. Jude's my son. I get to raise Jude today. God has me in his life for a purpose. God has Felicia in Jaslyn's life and Jaden's life for a purpose and yeah. for a reason. And, you know, people always wonder, like, how do you make... The blended family work well. First of all, you know, in the beginning of the interview, we said there was no parenting handbook. So if you think there's a blended family handbook, there definitely, there definitely ain't no blended family handbook. All I can say is, the way that our blended family works is because we've always put God first. We've always trusted in God. We've always leaned on Him. Because mind you, here's a part of the story that most people don't know. When I got arrested in 2011. Jaden wanted nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. Mm. Eight years I went without talking to him, without seeing him, without any communication. Eight years I went. And people say, how did you deal with that? How did you? And the way I dealt with it, Chris, is God had put so much peace in me 
and knowing that in his time, it would happen. It would happen. Yeah. And once you really believe in his time, in his time, in his time, not our time, not your time, and hit, once you really are convicted and believe that something will happen in his time, there's no changing the and way you feel. it gives you the peace. It gave me the peace. But God also told me, you have, mind you, we didn't even have Jaslyn, I mean, we didn't, even, we didn't even have Joel and Jordan at this time. We just have Jaslyn and Jude at this time. God told me, you have two other kids looking at you who need their father. In my time, I'm gonna make this one work, but you need to take care of these two. Then we go on and have Joel. You gotta take care of these three. Then you have Jordan. You gotta take care of these four. Eight years. Do the math. I've been sober 11 and a half. Jaden's only been back in our life three and a half years. Wow. But that was in God's time. Yeah. And, and, and once again, try to tell me that God is not real. I will slam five things down on somebody so quick how God is real and how he has shown up in my life and how he can show up in anybody's life. But we are the ones that have to make the decisions. Yeah. We have to take action. We have to say, you said it earlier, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And really the basis of faith is understanding within yourself right. that a change needs to happen. And that's right. before you ever see the evidence of mm -hmm. a change being even possible. When you started reading The Purpose Driven Life and reading the Bible, right? You, you didn't know to the extent that God would take you right. and how much his redemptive power would work. But day by day, every little step that right. you took, you got better and better and better. Right. And God continued to build on that. Now, what a lot of people don't know is where you're at today. So you say, mm -hmm. hey, you know, you have this sobriety, you had a career before. Mm -hmm. What are you doing now? Well, you know, uh, once I got into church, I mean, possibilities became endless at that point, you know? So I found a home church that my mom and, and Felicia and my dad had already been going to um, in Bray, California. And I'll never forget the first time I stepped foot in there, Chris. Like, you have to understand, I found God in jail, but I had never been to a Christian church. Yeah. Okay. So you talk about this prayer, right? And people praying for you and prayer warriors and chains and emails. So, you know, my mom's been at this new church. So I didn't know that my mom has the whole dang 3,000 member congregation praying for me, right? Mm. I'll never forget. I pull up to church that first Sunday and um, I get off the car and there's like 10 people standing there waiting for my arrival. Wow. I'm not joking. The associate pastor is standing right there, gives me the biggest hug. And I'm like, whoa, this is weird. Like, what the heck? Like, you know, I'm thinking my old thinking is like, you know, everything I did. He's like, man, we've been praying for you. I'm like, praying for me for what? Like, what do you know? Like, mom, what'd you tell him? Yeah. You know, because that's that's the old thinking. That's the old behavior. Like, whoa, I don't want these guys. I don't want these church people to know like all this stuff that I did because they ain't yeah. gonna like me or accept me. Yeah. Little did I know that that's not the way it is. That no, they accept you just the way you are. Yeah. And that, you know, God's grace is sufficient. His mercy is sufficient. And, you know... It's so funny because I talk about that because then I end up 
being on staff at that church. I end up being the assistant to that associate pastor. Wow. He was the first person who greeted me when I got out the car that morning and I end up being his exec- executive assistant. But you know, I always told myself and Felicia, when we first got into church, like, where are we gonna serve? Like, what are we gonna do? Where are we gonna serve? Like, we yeah. gotta do something. And, yeah. and I said, you know what, babe? Let's serve in the coffee ministry. The coffee ministry. And she says, really? And I said, yeah. And she goes, why do you wanna serve in the coffee ministry? And I said, because I want people to see us first when they walk into church. There you go. Just as I saw that pastor that was waiting for me that day, Chris, what's the percentage of people who come in and get coffee, tea, or hot cocoa? Over 90%. Exactly. So I said, you know what, babe? I want us to be the two individuals that people see and they talk to first in the morning because I want us to be able to make a difference in their life. Chris, we served and we gave it everything we had in that coffee ministry. And if you were to ever go back to that church, they will tell you, oh my gosh, we miss Joseph and Felicia saying hi to us. Because you know a good morning can change somebody's whole day. Well, that's what connected us together is you greeting us in the parking lot at church. So a good morning, an acknowledgement can change something forever. Yeah. So I just said, you know what, God? Put us in coffee ministry. I want people to interact with us first. We want to make a difference in everybody else's life. And we just started serving nonstop, nonstop, serving, serving. Oh, we need you to, we'll do this, we'll do that. And then obviously I, I become on staff at church. And then, you know, um, they said, hey, we have this um, thing on Easter Sunday and we want to highlight you. And we want to do your family testimony. And I was like, what, me? Like, because by this point, humility, I had been humiliated as much as I could. So I'm operating from this place of a humble heart and humbleness. Like, no, like, I don't want to be the guy on, on this right here. I'm cool. Like, if you want me to talk about my story, I'll share it with somebody. But like, this ain't for me. You know, they bring us in, middle of the sanctuary, bring sofas in, whole family, mom, dad, and it's highlighting my testimony, my story. And um, they say, we're going to air it all six services on Easter Sunday, um, over all the Good Friday, whatever. We have the most foot traffic. We think your testimony is going to change and impact, you know, people's lives. And I'm just like okay, I kind of don't want to see myself on screen. I'm probably going to look corny or, you know, whatever. So Easter Sunday comes, 10 a.m. service, and it's packed out. I mean, you know, Easter Sunday in, in church, what is yeah. it? Is that the most most visited, attended, yeah. most attended um, uh, day of the year or weekend of the year? So, I mean, it's packed out. It's overflow, standing room only. And they had, you know, rows in the front blocked off for VIP seating and and, and main row. I'm sitting second row behind a couple of the pastors on the left-hand side. And this whole family took up the front row on the right-hand side. This whole, they, they were deep. And, and there was like 15 of them. And I'm like, oh, it's just pastor's friends, like the whole family, you know, cool. My testimony rolls and after the service ends, uh, I get up, this gentleman gets up and he turns and faces me and he goes, was that you on the screen? And I was like, man, 
that you found me out already? Like, I didn't want to be noticed. Like, just let me get up and leave. And I was like, and my kind of like macho, like, who are you to ask me? Like, I was like, yeah, why? And he's like, come to the back. I want to talk to you. And I'm like, come to the back. I want to talk to you. Like, I'm thinking like, am I reprimanded? Cause I'm used to always being in trouble. Yeah. And then I can hear my mom and my dad and Felicia whispering, Tim's story wants to talk to Joseph. Tim's story wants to talk to Joseph. Oh my gosh. I can hear them whispering and I don't want to turn on and be rude and be like, who's Tim's story? <laughs> but in my head, I'm like, who's Tim's story? And um, little did I know that Tim had spoken at that church regular, packed it out all the time. And my parents knew him already and Felicia knew him and they loved him. So we get to the back and he said, man, he goes, you're my little brother who made it. And I was like, elaborate. Like, I'm your little brother who made it. Yeah. And then he got like emotional on me. And it was, it was weird. If I could go back in time 10 years right now, I mean, that's a moment him and I talk about forever. We'll never forget. It's what brought us together. It was the pain of my past and his past that brought us together. He said, my brother passed because of alcoholism. And I go, oh my gosh. He goes, you're like my little brother, but you made it. And I'm like, mm. wow, this is powerful. He goes, I don't know what it is, but God is telling me that I need to keep you close to me. And I'm like, okay, for whatever that's worth. All right, shake hands, thank you, part ways. A couple months later, he's back at the church. Hey, I remember you. I'm like, yeah, I remember you too. Exchange numbers, rest is history. Here I am 10 years later, you know, working for Tim's story, helping to, to, to launch the congregation family. And it's just amazing because what I'm seeing today, Chris, is that so many relationships are being formed through pain. Yeah. They're not being formed through, we won the lottery together. Our sons went to Harvard or Yale. Like, that's not the way yeah. that relationships are being formed today. People are coming together through pain and they're latching on through pain. It was Tim's pain of the passing of his brother and it was my pain of my family and my personal story that brought us together. And now I can honestly say that God was speaking to him, that speaking through him that night when he said, I'm gonna keep you close by. I don't know why. I don't know why. But today, I can honestly say that I know why. And it's just been an absolutely amazing experience to work side by side with an individual who just loves human beings, who cares about human beings. You know, he talks about the underdog all the time. He talks about rooting for the underdog. I'm for the underdog. I love the underdog. I want the underdog to win. And so many people may think like, oh no, he only works with like the, the you know, life coach to the stars. I'm the underdog. Yeah. I'm the underdog. So when he says that he loves the underdog, when he says that he's for the underdog, when he says that he's rooting for the underdog, Chris, I'm that underdog. Yeah. 
you know, and that man has spoke so much life into me, has built me up, has lifted me up, has empowered me, has trusted me to be the person, obviously God, but he has really shown me what it's like to be elevated. No, this is not where you were supposed to be. You weren't meant to be in that jail cell. Yeah. You weren't meant to be in that rehab. You were meant to be here. You were meant to be here making kingdom impact. You were meant to be here to help thousands of people. You were here to share your story that I'm sharing right now. You were put here to not hold back. You were put here to put it all out there yeah. because you may help save. What is it biblically? It's about the one. That's right. It's not about the many. If one person reached out to me or you from this interview, I feel like our purpose and our job and what God has called you to do across culture has been fulfilled. Yeah. And I really feel that, you know, Pastor Tim says it all the time. While we were stuck in our setback, Mm -hmm. God was already forming our comeback. Right. And we can't get our breakthrough unless we truly break through it. We got to move forward. Those are things that I've learned from my time listening to Pastor Tim preach and really pour life into people. Right. And that has made all the difference in the world. And so I think what people can gather from this interview is that there is hope. Right. That as long as you continue to put your faith in God, that God will continue to bring you through. And that's really what cross culture is about. Mm. So your transformation took place when you changed your mindset. Right. And as soon as you aligned yourself with God's purpose for your life, it didn't mean that every, everything became easy. Mm. It just meant that your life had direction. Right. And once you had that direction in your life, that changed the culture of everything around you mm-hmm. to bring you to where you are today. Right. And so I want to thank you for really taking the time to share and to partake in this conversation, mm-hmm. to really pour out everything that God has poured into you and that God has given you an amazing testimony. But that's mm-hmm. what cross culture is really about. Real life, real talk, real wisdom. This is cross culture. Thank you. That's a wrap. <laughs>